So, Mark. Yeah? I want you to use your imagination. Picture something in your mind that has never existed before. Allow a world of color and opportunity and childlike wonder to fill the void that was once your mind. I'm doing it now. If you could merge yourself with one animal in the fashion of this week's movie, what animal would it be? So, I've come up with one answer. The first thing that popped into my head was a kangaroo, because the jumping looks fun, they're very strong, and the pouch could probably come in handy. The pouch would be so handy. Isn't it, like, weird and gutsy on the inside, though? Yeah. Probably not. I I mean, it's a placenta, I'm pretty sure. Oh, I don't know much So, I don't know. It's not like a little... It's it's not a little felt purse or something. (laughs) I thought it was just, like, fur. No, No. I don't think you can store things in there, but that's where my mind went first, and I couldn't (laughs) really think of anything else. But I'm pretty sure it's, like... I mean, it's, like, where all the nipples are, for sure, because they breastfeed in there, and it's kind of weird. So, but it's not just, like, skin? No. (laughs) If you know what the inside of a kangaroo's pouch (laughs) looks like, tweet at us. Hashtag, kangaroo you talking about? (laughs) That's maybe one of our best that we've ever had. Again, hashtag kangaroo you talking about to tell us exactly how kangaroo pouches work. Or do we want to do hashtag kangaroo who you talking about? Ooh, Ooh I like no, that. No, that's when you're trying to figure out which kangaroo you've just been exploring the pouch of. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> make sure you have consent before you explore the pouch of any kangaroo. Look, just general piece of advice. Make sure you've shaken hands, gotten the name of a kangaroo before you search their pouch. So you don't have to say hashtag kangaroo who you talking about. Anyway, Will, what animal do you want to merge yourself with? Um, this is a terrific question. I'm glad you think so since you came up with it. <laughs> Thank you, Mora, for <laughs> calling him on his bullshit. <laughs> the obvious answer is a cassowary. I'm perhaps inspired by that guy in Florida who just got murdered by his pet cassowary. Oh. And I'm inspired by the boldness of that move. I like that they kind of have like a big attitude to match their big feathery bodies. And I think it'd be fun to have giant raptor claws on my feet. You're already ugly to look at, so you got that in common. <laughs> yeah, but I'd have that like big horn thing on my head. And I feel like we could lean into that, especially if I still had my red hair and I just had like a big fin. They're kind of red, the horns, so yeah. worse out. I could like go to the beach and wander around beneath the ocean and people could be like, whoa, it's the crimson shark and get scared of me. Cassowaries are so weird. Yeah, they're great. What about you? I don't know. The first animal that came to mind was a giraffe. That's the answer then. So that I could, you know, like see what's going on. But it would also be hard to like hide if I'm trying to stealthily see what's going on. You know, I just really want it for spying purposes. I just think that would get in the way of everyday life a lot. Because like well, no, doors, I mean, It doesn't for get example. in the way of giraffes everyday life. Sure. But you don't live in a giraffe society. Yeah, You'd be a human merged with a giraffe in human society. Yeah, I guess I forgot about the merging bodies part. This isn't Animorphs. <laughs> the human world is constructed for human-sized humans. Yeah, well, my other option was zebras, and I don't think that would really work very well either. What attribute of the zebra would you get? <laughs> what about the like zebra stripes. do you want? <laughs> she is wearing stripes at oh, the moment. Oh, that's true. Yeah, the change is beginning. <laughs> I also thought about wombats because they're cute. And then I remembered they poop in cubes. And I was just like, that's amazing. I don't know how that feels like it would be disconcerting to be a human to partially morph. And all of a sudden your poop comes out in cubes. But then you could put them out in the sun. You could put them out in the sun and use them as blocks. It seems so much more orderly. (laughs) (laughs) I like where the two of you went. It says a lot about both of you. (laughs) 
That's amazing. I did not know that. You didn't know that? No. I didn't either. Also, and I did a project did on a northern hairy-nosed wombat. The other thing is, wombats have butts that could be dangerous because they are so hard. Dangerous, Tell me like more. like if you got in a fight, they would use it like to ram you? Washington Post article dated October 6, 2016. Wombats have buns of steel. And wow, they there might were nothing more important for the Washington Post <laughs> to talk about in October 2016. <laughs> they have a lot of writers. This is like two days before Access Hollywood. Wombats have buns of steel, and they might literally be deadly. You have to I'm tell really us intrigued. more. So they like live underground. So to like prevent attacks they've built up super thick butts so that while they're like digging or burrowing if something attacks them from behind their butt is immune yeah basically it's like a shield amazing why did we not all choose wombat we could fly they fly right no what are you thinking of i don't know let me show you a picture of a wombat yeah wow they're like the opposite of what can fly they're kind of like like slightly bigger rodents i feel like i think i imagined them as just like uglier bats (laughs) <laughs> no that may be burrowed no look at this it's like a gopher like a groundhog or oh something. i'm into this and they have rock hard butts short-legged yeah. muscular quadrupedal marsupials with a rock hard butt and small stubby tails oh, that's <laughs> just rude <laughs> it's thought that when a predator becomes too persistent the wombat can slam its butt against the roof or walls of the burrow and literally crush the skull of its enemies amazing skull? wow these are my new heroes. Yeah, that's a great answer. Yep. So we're all bonding with a wombat for yep. the tough butt. Yeah, we're done good. here. All right. There <laughs> I'm you glad go. We now know this. Welcome to We Love the Love, <laughs> a Hollywood romance podcast. I'm Mark and I'm gay. And I'm Will and I'm a ginger. This, of course, as you have already ascertained, is an investigative podcast. We're here to figure out the truths of this world. Things like kangaroo you talking about? Or what are wombat butts like? <laughs> Hashtag wombutts. <laughs> Our main investigation, of course, is into a very important issue. Does Hollywood romance actually make any sense? And is Gina Davis human perfection? I mean, I feel like we answered that question a few weeks ago. But we are continuing to delve into this important topic. This is her first, like, lead role in a movie. It it's is. only is the it fourth really? movie she's in. Wow. Wow. Anyway, we're also investigating, are these people actually dateable or even likable? It doesn't matter if the romance is a main plot or a one-scene flirtation or whatever this is. We're going to dig in. <laughs> we will see what is there. It's our mission. It's our dedicated personal dermal shield. That's what they call the wombat butts. <laughs> the butts? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> and uh, we will not stop until we found an answer. And this, of course, is an important episode because... If we're going to talk about science, if we're going to talk about medicine, we need to bring in our chief medical expert, my sister, Mora, the nurse. Hello, everyone. So, Mora, this is based in reality, correct? Absolutely. You see this every day at a yes. hospital. Very people common. are coming in all the time. Now, you're a pediatric nurse. Uh huh. So, it's people who put their kids into a telepod. Yes. And you have to deal with the fallout. Exactly. So do you have like a full telepod situation set up at the hospital where you can do the remerging to fix them? Or yes. is it just a rack of shotguns? Uh, both, actually. <laughs> For when it gets out of hand? Yes. And if we run out of time, you know, it's a busy shift. We don't have time to really deal with it. <laughs> Classic Hippocratic <laughs> oath. First, 
do no harm unless you're busy, in which case shotgun. Let me just say, nurses don't take the Hippocratic Oath. That's why you're able to use the shotgun. Yeah, doctors aren't allowed to touch that. There's a big sign. It's like a wink-wink situation. (laughs) It's a big sign that says, nurses only on every shotgun. The shotguns have a little painting of the little hat like Emma Thompson wears in The Tall Guy. Yes, because then the doctors see the hat and they're like, oh, no, 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 not for me. Okay, so we've had you on here to talk to us about David Cronenberg's 1986 body horror film, The Fly. It's an adaptation of a Fox horror movie from 1958, which is itself an adaptation of a short story that was published in Playboy magazine earlier in the 50s. The movie credits it being based off of the short story only, I noticed. Yes, there are some substantial differences in the two narratives. In the 58 version, for starters, the scientist... He is working on teleportation, but he just immediately comes out of it with a fly's head and a fly's arm, but he has his still human brain and just slowly degenerates into a fly mind and eventually Mm. convinces his wife to kill him before he goes totally fly. He climbs into a trash compactor and she crushes his head and arm. Then the police are looking for him and they accuse her of murder. Oh. And then her brother-in-law, who's played by Vincent Price in one of his early roles, hears a voice calling for help because when he got the fly's head and arm, a little fly got his head and arm and had slowly gained his mind as he had lost his own. And little fly dude is screaming for help because a spider is bearing down on him. And Vincent Price squashes both of them. Wait, so when it's a fly with a human head and arm, they like are size fly sized. Okay. okay. Just like he gets a human sized fly head. Okay. Makes sense. But so, In the 1980s, a producer, Kip Oman, pitched Charles Edward Pogue on a remake of The Fly, and they took it to Fox. Fox was really interested. They commissioned a script. They did not like the first draft. They agreed that they would still distribute it if they found another financer. That's how Mel Brooks came on board as a producer. And at that point, they wanted to bring on David Cronenberg to work on a new draft, but he at the time was attached to Total Recall, but that wound up falling through until the Paul Verhoeven version of that in the 90s. So Cronenberg became available, and he agreed to direct it on the condition that he also get to write the script. And so he took it in some different directions. David Cronenberg's one of the, like, originators of body horror, right? I mean, not if you count the weird stuff from the 50s, like the B-movies. Right. But certainly of modern body horror, Cronenberg is the guy. Right. So it makes sense that this is the movie that he made. Yeah, this is actually his most financially successful movie. It was released on August 15th, 1986. It had a $9 million budget and made $40 million at the domestic box office. Dang. Which is really good. Yeah. It opened at number one with $7 million. I want to read you a little bit about this opening weekend. Because there are a lot of interesting movies. So we got The Fly at number one. At number three, we have Week 3 of Aliens. And I just want to say this. That is also a Fox movie. And I don't know why Fox would put out two creepy science fiction movies so close together. Hey, yeah, it works. I mean, sure, they were both successes, but they probably cannibalized their box office to some extent. Yeah. Have you seen Aliens? Not yet. It rules. I've seen Alien. Alien also rules. Yeah. Also in the mix at number four is week nine of The Karate Kid Part 2. At number six is week 14 of Top Gun. Dang. And at number 17, this movie dropped like a stone. It was week three of its release, but it's down to 17. It's a film we've covered on this podcast from 1986. Was it the thin, the tall guy, the thin guy? 
No, that's the the 80s. This is a little gemstone from early in our podcast career. Is it while you were sleeping? Earlier. That was our first episode. Earlier in time. Oh, okay. <laughs> that you meant earlier in the podcast. It's <laughs> close in our run to while you were sleeping. Oh, it's Howard the Duck. Yeah, it is! Ugh. I try and remember that that movie doesn't exist. And I try yet- and pretend the world is different, but it never <laughs> works out because you're there to remind me. You're like a person who watched Howard the Duck dreaming that you're a person who didn't watch Howard the Duck, but now you're awake. Sure, bud. Sure. That's a reference to the fly. Jeff Goldblum Is says, it? I'm a fly who dreamed you was a man. Oh, yes, But yes. now I'm awake. See, I always just assume you're going to make some obscure Howard the Duck reference, so I kind of stop listening when you start going on Duck Talk, and then I just say, uh-huh. And usually it's some weird reference to a half-human, half-duck woman named <laughs> Alexis, maybe. Yeah, Alexis the Duck. Yep. So that's kind of why I stopped paying attention, because I'm like, this will have no bearing on the rest of the episode. I recently started playing Marvel's Contest of Champions again, and I had to face Venom the Duck, the Howard-Venom hybrid that we talked about on the show a while ago. Spooky. It was. I defeated it, though. Oh, so proud. Congratulations. Anyway, the fly. Yeah, so, Mora, can you give us a little bit of a preview of your medical thoughts on the fly? Well, yes, but I don't... Should we go through the points first so people kind of know what happens? Or do you want me to tell you my thoughts? I have a theory. Give us like a preview thought now and we'll continue it as we go through the episode. I think Gina Davis's character is behind what happens to him. What? (laughs) Whoa. Whoa. I was not prepared to address this. This is a weird take. Yeah. Okay. So I think that's a good tease. And I feel like we do need to go through the movie before we can get further into it. Okay, yeah, I just want to shout out before we get into it, we talked about Cronenberg, who wrote and directed it. It's worth noting, Charles Edward Pogue, who wrote the first draft, did get an official screenwriting credit because Cronenberg said he couldn't have done it without the work that Pogue did. He, during arbitration, insisted on Pogue getting a credit with the Writers Guild. Yeah. The other key craftsman in this movie is Chris Wallace, who was the monster and makeup designer. So he came up with our lovely fly friend, and he actually won an Oscar for that, which is cool because genre movies do not get a lot of Oscar nominations. That yeah, cool. that's cool. And now that I think about it, this was a good year for science fiction at the Oscar because Sigourney Weaver got nominated for Best Actress for Aliens. Hmm. Now, Wallace had also been the designer of the Melting Faces in Raiders of the Lost Ark, and he designed the creatures for Return of the Jedi and Gremlins. So does that include the Ewoks then? I would assume so. Oh, Kind of makes sense that it's the same designer as the Gremlins. I know. I was just thinking the same thing. Yeah. He also directed The Fly 2, which we should talk about at the end of the episode. That is not a David Cronenberg sequel. Like, he's not really attached, is he? No, it's a Chris Wallace. Yeah. I mean, he didn't write it or anything either. No, not at all. Because I was reading this, and Cronenberg seems pretty anti-sequel in general. He is, although he has written a draft for another movie set adjacent to the fly it's different characters he's called it a meditation on flyness he had written it by 2009 and it was apparently in the works as recently as 2012 but there was an issue where to do the effects stuff they wanted it was going to be more expensive than fox wanted to pay but the stuff they liked was the expensive stuff so it was in a weird financing limbo I haven't found any reporting on it since 2012, and of course, Fox is a whole new ballgame these days, so who knows if we'll ever see it, but this is one case where he was willing to do something else with it. I doubt that'll see the light of day. I very much doubt it. 
But I think the best way to talk about what's interesting about this movie will be to dive right into it. Yeah, just like the movie does. Yeah. yeah. So this is a movie, of course, starring Jeff Goldblum and Gina Davis, who... I just want to clarify because there's been some confusion. I am specifically married to Gina Davis in A League of Their Own. So I have a lot of appreciation for this Gina Davis, but she is not my wife. Okay. Good to know. I am on board with every Gina Davis. Of course. Beetlejuice Gina Davis stands out. Let's just lay it down now. We're doing Beetlejuice this summer. Yes. Have you seen In a World? Yes. Is she in that? Gina Davis plays the other woman voiceover actor fascinating i gotta watch that movie again she gives a great one scene performance in a women's bathroom i like that movie a lot that's basically all she does in it and i loved it wild that we people who communicate via audio media would like a movie about voiceover people and sexism in the voiceover industry specifically hey all right so every week we break down the romance of a movie into the five points that best exemplify it. And The Fly actually is a movie very much centered around romance. Whenever I told people we were doing it, a lot of folks were like, is there any romance? And I'm like, yeah, it's a big deal. That is a big part of it. There's not much besides romance. It's the motivation for almost every decision every character makes. Yeah. Yeah. So, Mora, as our medical expert, as our fly expert... Is there a special word for people who study flies, or are you just an ichthyologist? I don't even know what that word means. That's you study bugs. Nope, that studies fish. I thought You're it was right. etymologist. Entomologist. Entomologist. There we go. <laughs> etymologist is words. Yes, I always get the two confused. <laughs> words are stupid. All right, Mora. Yes. You are in charge of the fly. All right, great. So, point number one. I think you really want to talk to me. Sorry, I have three other interviews to do before this party's over. Yeah, but they're not working on something that'll change the world as we know it. The movie opens with Seth and Veronica at some event for scientists. It's some, a party like, specifically for his company. Kind of thing. It's the Bartok party. Okay, great. So the two of them are chatting. He's like kind of telling her about his work, but like not really because he's really secretive about it. But he's clearly trying to flirt a little bit. And at partway through the conversation, he says like, oh, you want to come over to my lab? Which I think is kind of a creepy pickup line, personally. I genuinely was unsure at first of if he was trying to pick her up. I was like, is he just so awkward that like, he's like, this is going to change the world, but I can't talk about it here. Later on in the movie, I was like, oh, he was trying to pick her up. But at the time, I was genuinely unsure i really thought like he's trying to flirt but he's also just really awkward about it i definitely got flirty vibes partially because he doesn't want to talk about his work too explicitly but partially because he is just an awkward guy yeah what i really couldn't tell is how into him gina davis was at this point it seemed a little bit like she was flirting back but she also as a reporter for particle magazine is interested in his research she seems to almost be wanting to flirt to get what she wants. See, I didn't really pick up on that, though, until she, like, pulls the recorder out in his lab and you actually find out that she's a reporter. I think we knew she was a reporter, yeah, but we, we didn't did. know Maybe she I was, that. like, reporting. Okay. Well, anyway, so they're kind of flirting. He's not really talking about his job, but he invites her back to his lab. So I'm she- sorry, his murder factory? Because this is an abandoned brick building yes. with steel doors to everywhere. Very sketchy. If I were her, I would not have gone inside. It looks like the set of a horror movie. It kind of is in some ways. Sure. But anyway, he starts showing her what he's been working on, and it's this teleportation device. Well, first he walks in and just sits down and starts banging on a piano. Yes, that is true. Because that's how you flirt. You take someone to your murder factory, you slide open the big steel door, and you sit down and start plonking at the piano. 
Yep. Those are the basic steps. Well, and we so, already know what Will's answer to the last question will be. <laughs> I mean, TBD, there's a lot of good dating advice in this movie. Yes, there is. Like, snap the arm of a guy who's hanging out with a girl you want to date. Doing arm wrestle? Yeah. Yeah, that was alarming. So he's showing her his teleportation device, and he asks her for an item that he could test it out with. So she pulls off her stocking, and he, like, creepily kind of stands there and strokes it for a little bit. Then he puts it in, and the teleportation works. And so she's asking him about it, and then she pulls out this tape recorder, and that's when he's like, wait, 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 what are you doing? And then she says, like, she's a reporter. This would be, like, a great story for her magazine that she writes for. And then he realizes that where he thought this was kind of, like, a flirting, like, personal conversation that they were having, she was really kind of more in it for the angle it could get her career. She works at Particle Magazine. Did anyone else notice that Stathis, her editor, has license plates that just say Particle? Yes, I did. What a turd. He is a Particle man. I mean, aren't we all Particle men and women? Hashtag Particle peeps. Anyway, (laughs) Maura, you were saying. So that was point one. So we're on to point number two. Yep. I'm beginning to think that the sheer process of being taken apart atom by atom and put back together again... Why, it's like coffee being put through a filter. It's somehow a purifying process. It's purified me. It's cleansed me. And I'll tell you, I think it's going to allow me to realize the personal potential I've been neglecting all these years that I've been uh, obsessively pursuing goal after goal. Do you normally take coffee with your sugar? One of the things that I think is worth saying is all of the men in this movie are super creepy. Yes, they are. That is true. And Jeff Goldblum, Seth, gets progressively creepier. Mm -hmm. But... All of the men are creepy. Yes, every person in this movie, except for Gina Davis, seems to be a bad person. But also, there's only, like, three people in this movie. That is also true. Yeah. There were some comments in some interviews with Cronenberg that I read where he was like, this could kind of work as a stage play if you could figure out the makeup. That's true. Because it's just three people in a lab. In the... the His transformation into a fly kind of reminded me of the makeup and everything that Jeff Goldblum wears in the Elephant Man musical in The Tall Guy. What an incredible movie that is impossible to watch. They could easily make this into a musical. Yeah, for sure. Spoiler. We'll discuss that later. Okay, so in point two, Veronica and Seth have lunch. He like shows up at her work as she's been negotiating with her editor, Stathis, he's like, this is clearly just like a magic trick sleight of hand thing. And she's yeah, like, he's no, making fun of her for falling for it. It seems legit. And then Seth shows up and is like, I need to talk to you now. And so they eventually come to this decision that They go Veronica- get cheeseburgers. This is my real dating advice is take someone out for cheeseburgers. AKA take me out for cheeseburgers. Yeah, that sounds great. So Veronica decides that she will exclusively cover all parts of Seth's project. Like she will be there all the time, pretty much like recording what his tests with the telepod and everything. So she can get the full scoop on it. And he even says like, maybe then you could just not even write a magazine article about it, but you could write a full book about this whole thing. Cause this project is going to change the world. This is a really good pitch on his part. Yeah. Like, you don't have the full story now, but I'll give you access. You'll have a dramatic ending. You end with me teleporting myself, and you'll be a big star. But so she agrees to do this, and she and Seth are obviously spending a lot of time together, so they start dating. But what we find out is that her editor... Stathis. Yes, is her ex-boyfriend. And a huge creep. Yeah, she comes home one day, and some, she hears someone in her shower, and she looks, and it is Stathis, and she's like, what are you doing here? And he goes, oh, I was in the neighborhood, and I felt scummy. And I was like, yeah, you are scummy, bud. Get out of her apartment. Imagine walking into someone's apartment 
with a key that you have and just starting to take a shower. Yeah. And then she's like saying, you need to give me that key back. And he refuses. And I was like, why don't you change the locks? This is creepy. You he need says, to get I'll him out of your life. He for old time's sake. Yeah. He is a creep. I hope after that one, she was actually willing to then go change the locks. Yeah, I hope so. But she clearly doesn't because he shows up at her apartment later on in the movie. Very creepy. I do think John Getz does a good job playing that like narrow balance of creepiness where he seems like just enough of a person who is like competent at his job that you could see him taking advantage of that to be really gross yeah he's definitely not to the point of parody yeah there is a level of believability in his creepiness where it's not just how does this man get anything done because he's such a creep john gets worth noting the only person to reprise his role in the fly Two. Oh, interesting. Well, he gets really jealous at all the time that Veronica and Seth are spending together because he clearly still has feelings for Veronica. But in point number three... Before we do this, can we start talking a little bit about some of the teleportation experiments? Yeah. So... Rather not talk about the monkey one, to be honest. So I want to talk about the monkey one. I actually had a point about the monkey one. (laughs) So Seth Brundle is our Jeff Goldblum scientist, and he is working on teleportation. Why? Because he's definitely afraid of all forms of transportation. He does not like to be in cars. He once threw up on a tricycle. And so his goal is to develop a way to get from point A to point B without ever having to feel anything. When the movie starts, he's been able to teleport inanimate objects like Veronica's stocking, but he can't do live things. So he is teleporting monkeys. What are these? Mandrills? Baboons? I think they're They're baboons. baboons. Where is he getting them? This was my question, too, because he says that no one who, like, he's working with a lot of different people to get the funding and, like, the supplies and everything for his telepods but he says that no one knows the full scope of what he's doing but then i wanted to know how did he get irb approval to get these baboons because this is not ethical these baboons are slaughtered in that telepod machine there is zero chance he has board approval for all this yeah but then where does he get these baboons i don't know i mean i understand from the machinery angle he's like i order one part from one company one part from another so nobody can piece together what my invention is and beat me to it but how do you explain needing baboons and the baboons are very comfortable with him they like They're run like around. Friends. They hug him, and he murders. He turns one. them inside out. Only one. He only tur- the, the other, other one, one is lives. okay. So there was a scene shot for this movie that they cut because they decided it made him too unsympathetic. Where later on, when he's trying to figure out how to reverse his transformation, mm-hmm. he puts a cat in the teleporter. But somehow through nonsense science some of the monkey atoms like rematerialize and so the cat gets merged with the monkey and is in this like horrifying agonizing conglomeration and he has to beat it to death oh my god oh no so they cut that probably the right move yeah because he he's supposed to be a sympathetic character and that's the thing where even his worst behavior is supposed to be obviously a symptom of this horrifying transformation yeah right also i want you guys to realize that baboons are also one of the meanest type of monkey yeah i know they're vicious it's an interesting choice because those are the ones that people are like you need to watch out for them Every time I hear about people going on safari, it's like, lions, fine. Leopards, fine. What? I don't even know if there's leopards there. Everything is fine, but it's like, those baboons, you watch out because they will attack you. Yeah, they're mean. So I was uncomfortable when it started running at Jeff Goldblum because I would not want to be on set with a baboon. No. I didn't even think about that. I do think before we move on to point three, we want to emphasize that Seth and Veronica have started dating. Like, there's one night they start making out. 
they have sex on his pull-out couch. Yeah, that was another thing. Why does he only have a pull-out couch as a bed? He's, like, easily in his 30s, I think. Because he's a mess of a man. His apartment slash lab is, like, I mean, it gets worse as the movie goes on. But I just couldn't believe he sleeps on that, like, weird old pull-out couch. He is a messed up He's a man boy. It doesn't seem that he has a kitchen or anything where he lives either. It's just the lab and a pull-out couch and nothing else. Yeah. There is some, like, part of a kitchen because they cook the steaks. You're right. Yeah. And also, in the midst of this, Stathis is straight up stalking Veronica. Yes. Like, at one point, she leaves Seth's murder factory in the morning, and he's sitting out there in his car. Yeah. He's really keeping tabs. And one day, he slides an envelope with a mock-up of a cover on Seth Brundle and the story of teleportation, which she takes as a threat. Like, he's going to steal the story or is not going to let her do what she wants to do. And he's like, I'm just being a good editor, letting you know you've got a good story. And she's like, stay away from me. Yeah, and at one point they're talking, and he's like, oh, I just want to, like, let's just keep in touch as friends. I just want you to be a part of my life. And I was like, no, say no. He's a bad man. Yeah. He's just fully trash. He really is. There is, there's like, ah, I just, yeah, he's not good. But this is, in point three, is where Seth also starts becoming trash. Brundlefly breaks down solids with a corrosive enzyme, playfully called vomit drop. He regurgitates on his food, it liquefies, and then he sucks it back up. Because the concept of Veronica having an ex-boyfriend causes him to get so jealous that he drinks himself into idiocy. Yeah, Yeah, she, after seeing the envelope, is like, I've got to leave to scrape off the residue of my old life off a shoe. And so in point three, Seth is now the one who's jealous of Veronica and Stathis. which she doesn't need to be. Right, because Veronica's not into him anymore. But so he gets really jealous and drunk and then decides... Oh, also, while she's meeting with Stathis here, he asks if she's interested in non-romantic stress-relieving sex. Yeah, so he is drunk and jealous and decides, he's talking to his baboon friend, and he decides that he should put himself through the teleportation device. And the baboon, bad friend, does not say no. Because he looks at the baboon and says, I wouldn't ask you to do anything that I wouldn't do myself. And then he realizes, wow, well, I guess I need to go in this machine. That's the point of having baboons. This baboon was successfully sent through the teleporter. That's true. And I think a baboon, if it isn't ripping your face off of your skull, it's being a good friend. Although, is the fact that the baboon is so non-violent evidence that it was messed up? It could be. Maybe. But so anyway, he puts himself through the telepod and when he comes out, he says he feels better than ever, which this is what I don't quite understand is that if he is like slowly becoming a fly, the changes that happen don't really seem fly-like to me, but maybe they're just like other odd changes that are happening. I think it's like you think about how flies are like always kind of frenetically moving around. Yeah, I guess so. That his high energy is like a fly constantly moving. He suddenly is like very acrobatic. He's eating tons of sugar. He like never has to sleep. So then he says like, I feel great. Veronica, you should go through it too. You'll feel like this too. And then we can be this dynamic duo together. But she tells him- At this point, he's like waking up in the middle of the night and doing shirtless acrobatics like full-on gymnastics puts an entire sugar jar of sugar into a small cappuccino and also his apartment now there's just like sweets and donuts like everywhere you look it's just like he's had like a full transformation in his personality but veronica does not want to go into the telepod she doesn't trust them and she also has noticed that like 
there have been some changes going on with Seth. Including the weird hairs yeah. that started growing out of his back. He got some, like, scratch on his back from something on his pull-out couch, and now there's these weird hairs growing out of it. They and- look like the hairs on a fly's leg. Yeah, I guess so. And so she's like, no, something went wrong with you when you went through the telepod. Like, you're different somehow. I don't want to go through it. And then he gets really annoyed at her and tells her to leave his apartment. Oh, also, during point three, he has a fight with her about Stathis. And that's where we learned that Stathis was Veronica's professor. Oh my god, I forgot about that. It's the grossness just keeps building. Yeah, because you know he hired her because of that too. He's a big steaming pile of gross in a shirt and tie. Yeah, and so Seth tells her to leave and then he just kind of like goes out and is trying to like meet other women or something. Yeah, because he wants somebody who can be the perfect human like him with this high energy living life. So he goes to a bar to pick up a lady. He meets Tawny. And basically immediately is like, I'm going to take you home tonight. And she's like, I'm here with Marky. And Marky's at a table doing an arm wrestle. And Brundle is like, you know what? Hundred dollars says I can beat you both. And they're like, please, this scrawny scientist man. And then he starts arm wrestling and he breaks Marky's arm open. Yeah, it was alarming and the bone like pops through the skin. There was also though, did you notice like when he was obviously like squeezing the other guy's arm, like ooze was coming out of the skin he releases pus yeah it's nasty so as a medical expert how many of the like weekend injuries that you see are the result of intense arm wrestlers probably about 25 percent. 25 percent. yeah how many then are the result of telepod accidents that is the other 75 percent. oh yeah it all checks out (laughs) yeah But also when he's making this bet, he's like, yeah, a hundred dollars. I beat you, whatever. But he goes, and I get to go home with Tawny. And I was like, excuse me. Why is, does she get no say in this? She even is like, you don't get to decide that. But for some reason, seeing a man basically rip another man's arm in half is a aphrodisiac for Tawny. Yeah. I didn't understand why watching that made her want to go home with him. Marky at first is like, Tawny, just like, accept the deal. It's going to be easy money for us. But then- Marky doesn't have a working arm and she does go back to his place because she lives with her mom and she's like, yeah, let's go to your place. And his whole plan is to find someone who will go through the telepod so that if Gina Davis won't become this dynamic duo, he wants to find someone who will. So he brings Tawny back, but she also does not want to go through the telepod. They bone and she refuses and he's trying to insist and she says, I'm afraid. And then we get the movie's tagline when Gina Davis says, be afraid. Be very afraid, which is where that comes from. Yeah, I had no idea that that line was from this movie. It was like on the poster. It was a big part of the ad campaign, but that's where that comes from. Wow. But so Gina Davis shows up. She hasn't seen him in like a couple days. I feel like maybe, I don't know. But anyway, this is one thing that I just noticed. She tells him he stinks and he just goes, I've never been much of a bather. And I was like, are you kidding me? Yeah, Everyone's gross. He's so weird. Everyone is... Physically and morally gross, except for Gina Davis. Even Marky is a gross dude. Oh yeah, for sure. So, but she's like trying to help him out. She is still invested in him as a person, and she still cares about him. That he does not become a monster. Yeah. So in point four, I wanted to see you before. You have to leave now. His body continues to devolve into being like less and less human. And we see him in some of the grossest scenes. He like pulls his own fingernails off. His ear falls off at one point. It's just like disgusting. 
disgusting. And there's like pus behind all of this. Ooh, and His she finds fingers out, just leak. Yeah. And he, she finds out that the way that he eats, since flies can't like digest food in the same way that we do, he has to like regurgitate this like slime ooze stuff that then breaks down his food so he can just slurp it up. And it's really gross. You just watch him basically like vomit this like white milky pus. All but the time. Unfortunately, we never get to see how he slurps it up because I am very curious about yeah, that. Yeah, I was too. Because he doesn't ever get a proboscis. Unfortunately. So he can't like unroll it and slurp it up. So I guess he has to just like put his mouth slurp on it. And- yeah. At one point, all of his teeth do fall out. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And all of it's stored in his medicine cabinet. Yeah. That's such a creepy touch. Like, can you imagine if you went to some person's apartment and you open up their medicine cabinet and there's just all these body parts in it? How often do you just open people's medicine cabinets? I don't, but I'm just saying. <laughs> I mean, even at a less extreme angle, just anyone having any nail clippings, hair cuttings, teeth, anything like that in their medicine cabinet is weird. Creepy. Now, what are you supposed to-, to make your doll? Out of. But also, because his are all like bloody too. I feel like none of it was clean. Like, ugh, just like it's not like a nice tooth you just lost. Because he's not. <laughs> I'm a sorry. Tooth. Do you have a tooth supply? No, but I'm just saying. Like Mark was saying, like lost teeth, like some hair, whatever. So if you have nice hair and nice teeth, it's okay. <laughs> no, that's definitely also still creepy. I'm just saying this was like really gross. I would be really grossed out by someone keeping their hair and teeth in a medicine cabinet also. I'm just saying this was like bloodied fingernails and like an ear. What's worth noting is that he is still insistent that this is a good thing. He's still like, wow, this is amazing. I can't believe this. He tries to get Veronica to take more film of him explaining how things work. He wants it to be like, ah, you know, it'll be good history for the kids. Like, hey, kids, you want to know how Brundlefly eats? Because he's merged his last name with the fly. He regurgitates this slime onto it. And he's just eating like prepackaged cinnamon rolls and stuff. He can also climb on walls now. Yeah, that was pretty cool. But... I think the madness of him still insisting, this is great, this is awesome, other people should go through the telepod and feel amazing. And, like, obviously, the intention is not for people to merge with a fly, but it's not the worst thing that could happen to you. But the main part of point four is that Veronica finds out that she's pregnant, and she comes home crying one day, and her boss, Stathis, like, walks into the room and is like, oh, what's wrong? And I was like, why is he in your apartment? Why does he still have a key? Why have you not changed your locks yet? So... She finds out she's pregnant with Seth's baby and she goes to tell him, but when she sees him, she can't bring herself to tell him he's really like gotten even worse. And he even tells her at that point, like, I am really like merged with the fly so much that the fly part of me will harm you if you stay. So you need to leave and never come back. And she also dreams that the baby is a maggot and it's creepy. Yeah, that was creepy. And that's one where I was looking up, when did aliens come out? And I was like, oh, three weeks early. (laughs) Because there is something similar in terms of the creepy alien thing tied to reproductive processes that feels a lot like a chestburster. Yeah. So... She then forces Stathis to bring her to a doctor for an abortion at, like, midnight after she has the dream. And the doctor is really confused. He's like, you guys seem uncertain about this. Do you want more time? And they're like, no. And he's like, can we wait till tomorrow? Yeah, it's like the middle of the night. They're just like, absolutely not. Because who knows what's going on in there. Yeah, so in point five. We'll be the ultimate family. A family of three joined together in one body. More human than I am alone. She decides she wants to abort the baby, but while she's at the doctor's office, Seth comes and kidnaps her and takes her back to his lab slash home. Because his brilliant idea is that he can make himself more human 
by recombining his DNA with another person. Yeah, which, like, really doesn't make sense because his whole plan is that he was like, we can both go in these separate telepods and then our bodies will be fused. And so it'll be you, me, and the baby all together as one family, but in one being. And I was like, how does that... He I don't t- think that would really solve his problem. Pods. He rigged up the third telepod, the yeah. prototype. So he restructured his machinery to deliberately fuse things. Right. So but it was going to fuse the two of them. Right. And the Into unborn... like one being. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's what I didn't understand. I was like, I don't know that that would like really help your situation. Well, it would increase the proportion of DNA that is human versus fly. Sure. But then you're alone. You know, like he's still like, I don't know. Well, we know that his mind and the fly's mind are weirdly mixed together, so maybe their brains would be weirdly melded. Yeah. I didn't really uh, see the logic behind it. He's a, a crazy of, man yeah, yeah. at this point. There's not a lot of logic in his brain at right. this point either. Well, so anyway, she obviously is not down for this idea, but he's trying to push her into the telepod. But Ladies, if a man tries to push you into a telepod so he can merge your body with his, it's okay no. to say no. Yeah. But... This uh, is the part of the movie that really kills me. So Stathis shows up and he... Um, he brings a shotgun. He brings a shotgun. And he's Which is trying... surprising because he is not a nurse. You're right. But so he is trying to help Veronica. So Seth has Veronica in one telepod. He gets in the other telepod. And like right as it's about to do the fusion, Stathis shoots the computer and it like somehow stops the telepod that Veronica is in from working. But the one that Seth is in is still involved in this transformation. But Seth gets partially out the door. Yeah. So he winds up merging with, with a telepod. The telepod. It's yeah. creepy. It's very weird. And so then and when by he this comes point, out, he is like fully insect monster. Oh my God. This was creepy. Yeah. So she is like, like removes his jaw. Like his jaw falls off at one point when Veronica is touching his face. And then his whole body is just like whole sections are just falling off. And this is when I started uncontrollably hyperventilating because I didn't know what was happening. And it was just really freaking me out. It's so creepy and weird. Yeah. I love it. Ugh, it was a lot. But so anyway, Veronica gets saved by Stathis, and then Seth's body is now, like, half the weird fly thing, but also there's, like, half machine on him, too, that, like, merged with the telepod. And so he comes out, and she's pointing the shotgun at him, and he even, like, holds it up to his head at one point, kind of, yeah, like, she, just in a mercy kill kind of thing. She pulls it back because she's like, oh, I can't kill this. yeah. This, this thing, thing that I once loved. Because I once loved him. And then the Brundle fly pod grabs the gun and holds it against his head. And it's basically just like, kill me. Yeah. And so she eventually does kill him. And that's the end of the movie. But the part that really kills me is that Stathis gets to be like the hero of the movie, I feel like. Because like he is the one who saves her from getting fused. And I was like, why is this creepy stalker man get to come in and save the day at the end? And that's what made me mad. Because they only wanted to pay three main character actors. This is the other thing that I didn't understand. While she is going through this, like, pregnancy scare and everything, why does she not have another friend who can help her out with this? Why is she turning to her creepy stalker ex? I think it's probably because he is already in on this. He knows about the teleportation stuff, and she is so weirded out and alarmed and unsettled by all of it that she's not sure who to tell, how to explain it all. Yeah. And so she goes with this person who is already in on it. Now I that guess that's true. I'm just mad. Totally I'm mad she doesn't have it. other better friends. Other, it seems like this. her stalker ex is her only friend. Her stalker ex, ex-professor, boss. Yes. Yeah. This so movie rules, though. The fly. It's so good. Yeah. He never gets segmented eyes. I was very disappointed. He does not. I know. That I was, was the thing. I that. really thought he was going to look more fly-like, and he really never does. He just goes from having, like, 
weird colored skin to that, like, like cracks and is gross yeah and like his eyes do get a little like jittery kind of but that's about it and then he just becomes this weird like i don't know just like his whole body it turns it starts definitely to look like insect-y. the insides of a body i feel like and with it's like pinkish you know like not skin like sure yeah flesh one thing I did like is when Veronica shoots him in the head, there isn't just gore, there's also a spark from the telepod oh, in his yeah. head. Yeah, because this movie rules. Yeah, it was great. So three years later, there was a sequel made called The Fly 2, directed by our creature designer, Chris Wallace. And this one begins with Veronica giving birth to a larval sack, Ugh. like in her dream. Never say that phrase again. What, larval sack? Yeah, I don't like that. So she gives birth to a larval sack, and it hatches into a normal-seeming baby. So that's great. From the larval sack? Yeah. Uh, Except what happens... That was the whole reason she was freaked out about being pregnant, is she was worried that it was going to become like the brundle fly. So she dies of shock after giving birth to the larval sack. Okay. And then... The baby seems normal, except it ages very rapidly. So, like, by the age of five, it appears like a 25-year-old. That's weird. And he also doesn't need to sleep. So he's told his father died of a rapid aging disease, so he thinks that's what's going on. But he's also, like, living on the Bartok Complex, the company that Seth Brundle had worked for. And... He's brought onto a team that's working to rebuild the telepods. And he's told, like, this was your father's work. You should help us out with that. And he's like, cool. But he discovers that they're doing creepy work and abusing animals as part of their research. And he's not into that. And also, he starts dating this woman who works there. And I don't know how I feel about that because he is five years old but developmentally older. And oh, yeah, that's weird. I'm never sure what to do with that. Uh, he also slowly mutates into a fly, and then he forces the head of Bartok into the telepod, which is set up for the merging thing. So he goes into one, the evil CEO goes into the other, so then he becomes fully human, and the CEO is trapped as a monster. Oh. It was horribly reviewed, and is apparently quite boring. Wow. So, we've just talked to The Fly, a great, gross movie. So gross. Mora. I need you to explain why you think Ronnie is behind oh, yeah. all of Oh my god, this. I almost forgot about that. Okay, here's my theory. Just entertain this idea. Because you're slandering the name of Gina Davis here. Do you guys know what Munchausen by proxy is? Yes. Yes. That's my but theory. But pitch it for our listeners. Okay. Munchausen by proxy is basically where someone's caregiver, like, sort of creates these physical like medical problems so there's a documentary about it that i started watching before i came here and i haven't finished it yet but it's called mommy dead and dearest and it's about this girl who the whole time she was growing up her mom convinced her she had like all these medical issues and apparently when they would go to doctor's appointments her mom would say like just like sit still like let me do the talking and don't move your legs and they had everybody convinced that this girl could not walk and apparently they're interviewing the girl and it seems like she didn't know that a lot of it was not true but she did know that she could walk because her mom would like tell her not to but other things like they were looking through her medical records and like her family history would change based off what kind of doctor she was seeing and so this girl thought she had like seizures and like cancer and muscular dystrophy and all these things and so her mom got all these medications for her that she was taking for problems that she didn't actually have but taking those meds ended up like causing some of the problems wow so it was like her mom was creating all these issues for her they said she had cancer and
and so her mom like shaved her head she was like oh it's all gonna fall out anyway like let's just keep it neat looking so her mom would like really like go all the way in creating this appearance and just like did it basically for attention kind of so now bring us back to gina davis so that's an explanation sort of a munchausen by proxy it's like like your caregiver kind of like creates these problems for you and by insisting that you're sick by insisting that you have them and not really letting you do any of the talking and everything but anyway so my thought is that gina davis is really in this for like the story for her career and throughout the whole thing pretty much seth is convinced that he is fine at least initially he thinks he feels better than ever and she keeps saying like no no something's wrong with you something's not right something went wrong when you went through the telepod he's like no you don't understand like you should do this too. I feel wonderful. We could be a dynamic duo. And she's like, something is wrong. And she's really the one who puts that in his head. Is it the case that we only see him in flyish form when Gina Davis is present? No, not necessarily. No, because oh. Stathis. Oh, you're yeah. right. Because I was thinking that would be interesting if we're getting the whole thing from her perspective. That would be interesting. But I mean, like she also could be like, slipping things into his food or whatever like in this document i was reading the mother of this girl they were saying that she used to put roundup that like weed killer stuff in her stepmom's food like she had like a whole sketchy past of trying to like manipulate people's lives and like poison them and stuff like that why so gina are, davis could have been doing that to seth why are you trying to take the one good character in this movie and make her a monster because you guys called me here as a medical expert and there is nothing medical about this movie and i had to have something to you say. said seth 75% of your work is telepod Obviously, that was a lie. What? <laughs> I have beef with you because about two weeks ago, I watched that uh, ABC family, whatever version of Cinderella, wonderful world of Disney version of the people Cinderella. And I told you I wanted to cover that on this show. And then you texted me back and said, cover the fly. And I would have much rather talked about Cinderella. That movie doesn't have any doctors in it or nurses. Yeah, that's okay. Neither does the princess diaries. Like if they had done the bit where they cut off the stepsister's toes and heels, then we could have had you on to talk about that well they don't cut it off in that one but you know it, it's whatever that's a weird adaptation of cinderella it's a great one and i would have loved to talk about that one and instead i had to watch this man peel his own fingernails off for science there was nothing medical about this movie and that's why i had to pull in the munchausen's theory if you peel off your fingernails what happens they grow back really yeah cool but like what if you get all the way like like the whole thing gone well, there's like roots where does it start? Down, I, I don't, to be honest, I don't know how far deep it goes, but I know people who have like lost nails. Right. Like and completely. they grow back. No, I know, but I also know people that have lost nails completely. Oh, everybody I, I know who lost a nail, it came back. But I think they also lost part of their finger too. Oh, well that might do it. But how many I toes do we need? I don't know. <laughs> how many toes can we lose before you start losing <laughs> balance? This is a purely hypothetical question. Um. I feel like you would need three for good balance. Three on each foot or three total? On each foot. So I could be like a dinosaur. I just feel like two would be a little wobbly. So like if I had my big toe and my pinky toe and my middle toe, I could get around? I think so. I think pinky toes are vestigial, but I'm not sure. Yeah, I think you might be right. Let's check Quora. (laughs) Always the best source. No. I don't know. Very confusing. Well, having talked about the romance of the fly... Do we find it believable? Absolutely not. Talk to me about why. Because I really think that with him being so, like, 
really weird about this whole fly thing. And as he's like transforming and everything, like she should have cut and run, you know? It did not seem like they were together long enough for her to develop the feelings. I mean, I think some time definitely passed, you know, but... There's a lot of experimenting going on, which presumably took a while. Yeah, yeah but I I mean, just... who knows how many monkeys he went through? I hope one. Yeah, but I, I just really, I don't find it realistic because I don't think uh, like a smart woman would have stayed. Sure. I think that's reasonable. Yeah. So on our 10 point scale where zero is totally unbelievable and 10 is 100%, we believe it all. Where would you rank the romance of the fly? I think it's like a one. Really? Yeah, I really do. I wasn't thinking one. I was leaning more towards like a two or a three. I think I'm a three. I was initially thinking three, and then the more I thought about it, the lower it went. I see some real attraction. Yeah, that's why I made it a one and not a zero. Her creepy boss is there the whole time. That's true. The fact that she hangs around Stathis still is weird. I mean, I think that could also be realistic, though. Yeah, because she may not have a lot of other job opportunities, or at least may not feel that she has a lot of other job opportunities. Right, and she, you know, she might feel like she can't... Get away. Yeah. We know he's willing to go to weird stalking lengths, like park outside Seth's murder factory. Yeah. So, okay, so I think, Mark, you and I are at a three, Maury at a one. Yeah. All right. Now, do we think Seth and Ronnie are dateable? Definitely not Seth. Definitely not Seth. Definitely not Seth. Someone who says, I don't bathe regularly should automatically be a no. I'm leaning towards no on Ronnie as much as it pains me to say that about a character played by Gina Davis. But the fact that her like creepy ex is her boss and stalks her. That's true. It's kind of a red flag. There are some definite judgment issues. I like her confidence. Like when Seth finds out that Stathis is her ex. He's like, is he still in love with you? And her response is, how could he not be? Yeah, I did appreciate that. I like that confidence, but I have to agree with you. I think she's not our go-to. Which leads us to an interesting place for who would you date in this movie? Honestly, I don't know who to date other than Veronica. There's literally I know. three characters. Unless- You could date Marky. I forgot about Marky. Or Tawny. I don't think I would want to date any of those bar people. You could There's... date the guy that they buy that heart necklace from when she and Seth oh, are yeah. out shopping. This is the least dateable movie we've ever watched. Yeah. I think I'm going to date one of the workers at the cheeseburger joint. Oh, okay. Because they might give me cheeseburgers. Fair. I'm going to date one of fair. the other ones. Yeah. We That's can go on double dates. Background extras. <laughs> <laughs> that is where we have come to in this movie. Yeah. But it's a good movie. Uh, Seth and Ronnie would not stay together because Seth is a dead fly monster. Yeah. Fly telepod monster. Even if she didn't kill him, they wouldn't stay together. Now, important question that we have to ask because it's happened to so many of the movies that we've covered. A really astonishing number. Should the fly be made into a musical? Yes. I think it could be pretty entertaining as a musical. Yeah? Yeah. So you think this would be a good idea? I think it could work because of the so few characters... So few actual sets that if you just figure out the makeup, it could work. Well, you're in luck because in 2008, the Los Angeles Opera produced an opera of The Fly. Are you kidding me? With songs by Howard Shore, who did the score for this movie, and directed by David Cronenberg. Wow. I will put video of it up on our social media because it's weird. I mean, it's not a musical. It is opera. I guess an opera would kind of make sense for this It's so heightened. Yeah. So there you go. I think that does it for The Fly. Yeah. I don't really have much more to say. This movie is creepy. It is creepy. But good. But good. It's gross and good. Yeah, yeah. Just I like Mora. I guess it was good. I don't Excuse know, you. I don't know if I have any desire to explore more into the body horror genre. Really? 
Yeah. It's funny how every time anyone tries to make anything body horror-y, they name-check David Cronenberg. I remember when the 2015 Fantastic Four, the Josh Trank movie, was coming out, and they really pitched it as like, oh, we're making it like a Cronenberg-y horror movie. Like, you go to space, or I think in that one, it's like an alternate dimension, and something happens to your body. Like, it stretches a lot, or it's turned into rock, or it turns invisible, or catches fire. And in the movie, they mostly jettisoned all that. Now, there were a lot of production issues with that movie, but it was entirely sold as this Cronenberg thing and wound up just being boring. What is another, like, body horror movie? I feel like I can't think of an example. Oh, uh, well, like, Human Centipede, I guess. Yeah, that would be an example. Yeah. Upgrade. Upgrade! I keep thinking that movie might be good. Like, the further I get from having watched it, the more I'm like, there was some cool stuff in that movie. And I always text my cousin that I watched the movie with, and I'm like, I'm starting to think Upgrade was good, and he'll just text me back a different detail from the movie to remind me that it wasn't. Good for him. That's why we have to stay close to our families. All right, this is exciting for us. Next week, we are starting something I'm very pumped about. For the month of June, we're doing a month of musicals on the podcast. We're going to do lots of different kinds of musicals, and next week, we're returning to an old favorite genre of ours for the first time in about a year. Yeah, so next week, we're bringing back Claire to discuss Cooch Cooch Hota High, another Bollywood musical. Written by Karen Johar, who wrote Kal Ho Naho. Oh, perfect. So this one is on Amazon Prime, just like last year, so you can stream it for free if you have Prime. I highly encourage you to do it. These movies are a lot of fun. They're long. It's about three hours, but... It's a whole lot of fun. It's a musical. It's high drama. Our lead from Kahona Ho, Sharuk Khan, is back. Of course he is. He's in all the movies. He's the richest actor in the world. He must be in a lot of films. So definitely check out Cooch Cooch Hota High before next week. And we will see you then. Until next week, you can follow the show on Facebook and Twitter at Love the Love Pod, And you can email us questions or movie suggestions or just say hi at lovethelovepod at gmail.com. Make sure to rate, review, and subscribe because that really helps other people to find the show. Last question. What's the best piece of dating advice we got from this movie? Oh, God. Mora, guest of honor, medical uh, expert extraordinaire. You might even say she's maid of honor. Well... I don't know. There's not much going on in this I'm the maid of honor. (laughs) Um, I don't know. I just really can't get past that line where he says, would you like to come back to my lab? And it seemed to work for him. So that's your advice. That would work on you. Not on me, but that's my advice. What if he said, would you like to come back to my murder factory? Just truth and advertising. I'd say shatter a man's radius and ulna. Oh. Yeah, you're right. That did work. Show up at my work and offer to buy me a cheeseburger. That's the best option. That's actually something that would work on Will. Yeah. A lot of my advice is food give me related. food. <laughs> yep. Anyway, there you go. Until next time, I'm Gay. And I'm a Ginger. And I'm Mora. So between the three of us, we know everything there is to know about romance. Bye. Bye. Girlie say I'm pretty fly for a white guy. <laughs>